it lends to this narrative that I believe that we have as a culture that sexual awakening happens one time and then you've arrived. But I see it as having many different sexual awakenings throughout your life as each one unlocks a different part of you. You're diving deep with Destin. Sex, love, and evolution. first met Kat, Dr. Kat Meyer at uh, Layla Martin's home, uh, a party there. And I got to say, there were a lot of very interesting people at this party, but she definitely left a very clear mark on me, uh, and which uh, will make sense as we go into this uh, conversation. Like me, she's got the mixture of having clearly gone very deep from an academic perspective, but also into these various esoteric sides of things. And she's not shy about the depth that she goes into in her own erotic explorations and other explorations in her life. And then the wisdom that she really brings forth is the weaving of those three, much like me. <laughs> the other thing I really love about Dr. Cat is, um, uh, she likes playing with arch archetypes, which again, you know, erotic rock star, evolved masculine, you know, big part of my history and what I like to bring forward. And especially lately, she's all about sex and psychedelics, which again, if you read my book, The Evolved Masculine, Be the Man the World Needs and the One She Craves, you know that psychedelics um, played a significant part in my own transformational journey. So... With that, Dr. Kat. Yay! <laughs> Thank <Really>. you. <laughs> yeah, really stoked to have you. You're also a lot of fun. And that's I, I know that this conversation is going to be fun too. Absolutely. Um, Bring in the playfulness, the playfulness back into the and in, into life, the medicine of play. Yeah. You know, I, I really appreciate that because I know that A, like I definitely have a playful side, but especially when it comes to my work, sometimes I get way too serious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's because, you know, I'm very committed to, to it, but like get into work mode, da, 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 da. But yeah. I mean, as you said, plays medicine. Yeah, absolutely. I have little tiny aliens right here on my right on my desk, and they're just like chilling out here, just cheering me on. They're like, "You got this, Doctor Cat." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got I have a, a penis candle that was given to me on my birthday. <laughs> so. uh, oh, this is a good one to them. Oh, oh, be a love artist, and there's some sexy naked women with chains around them. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> spicy yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there's, there's so much on this desk it's for my like altar things i see here but uh yeah i mean i think that the play is particularly good when we're talking about uh sex and sexuality and growth because like sex is supposed to be fun you know, gr growing around our sexuality, I think is something that, that we can do throughout our lives, but it doesn't have to be like, it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I have to work on this. I mean, yeah, you know, there's, there's value in that, but there's so much of it. There's so much of that exploration and growth and expansion that can be done through play. And particularly because we can be so as a society we can have so many hang-ups or ooh, mm -hmm. restrictions mm -hmm. ar around it play laughter can just help it be more relaxed yeah opening yeah i actually find that playfulness can take the pressure off of us having to you know uh uh, be perfect at something, especially if we're new, if we're trying out a new position or we're trying out a new toy or a new role play. It, sometimes we can stop ourselves because we're afraid of the failure. But if we go into it of let's just play and figure out if we even like this and not, oh, well, this didn't work. Let's try this. You know, <laughs> it brings this lightness as levity to something that mm -hmm. can become heavy or we can, you know, ascribe or tie our uh, worth, worth of being a lover to. And mm -hmm. nobody wins with that. No, no. And like, you know, I, I do a lot of work with men, but I'm pretty sure this relates with women in, in their own way. But for a lot of men, it's it's not just a it's their worth as a lover, but then they can also tie that up into their sense of their worth as a man. Yeah, totally. And all this heaviness that can come with that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll speak for, you know, really any gender. I want to extend this to any gender, uh, but you. you know, especially around the the, the partner of, um, uh, you know, how do I want to say this? Um, I want to say women here who have been conditioned in this culture to to perform for their partner or to entertain their partner with their sexuality or their sexuality is used for for somebody else rather than for the, their own selves and that mm-hmm. performance piece or that that tie to I have to do a good job here um really messes with all genders <laughs> in yeah, different yeah, ways yeah yeah I, I appreciate you speaking to that um particularly because the past decade I've been um honing my voice more towards men it's been kind of reopening again (laughs) with this transformation i'm in but um i think it's very valuable for men to really hear and understand that piece uh that part of how uh women are often conditioned around their sexuality i know this is one of the big pieces that i learned to bring into my uh sexy experiences with women that's have proven to be so powerful for for my partners over the years it's been like creating a space where she feels that she can let that go and that are like i take it on as my masculine role to create a safe space in which she can just be in the exploration of her own sexuality for its own sake Mm-hmm. without yeah. fear of judgment without pressure of what's supposed to be but just like here, here like m- most women uh want to better understand their sexuality uh, especially if they're not heavily wounded around it that they want to better understand it but there needs to be a, a safe a safety and a safe space in order to do so in any sense of pressure around what she should do shouldn't do should be or shouldn't be erases that safety Mm -hmm. and doesn't really that you know we get into these conversations of man and woman but the same goes for men as well men want to feel safe to be able to relax into their exploration and and test things out too so so it's even just interesting in this culture how we do you know categorize these and when we do that we forget the that these that it really breathes between all of these expressions. Okay, so I want to agree and disagree. Yeah. So sure. so yeah, yes, but I think that there that there are these subtle flavor differences. So, you know, you were speaking about the way in which women are conditioned to perform for for their partners. Men have uh have their way of being conditioned to perform around their partners. And those who don't identify or fall, fall evenly into either is, you know, the, the, it's sort of like a little mixed blessing because on one hand, they already know that, <laughs> that the preconditions of one or the other uh, um, don't necessarily fit for them, but they're um, often lacking clear models because, you know, we're only beginning to have any sort of representation um, uh, in that self-discovery process but uh men's version is often like yeah we're supposed to fucking perform i mean that's that's the word like you know performance anxiety a man is supposed to show up ever hard ever ready uh, always wanting and better rock her fucking world anything less than that you're less of a man no no i mean i don't think that you're that you're not wrong i i think that i it it's more about teaching people what their most authentic expression is and yeah. and from my perspective of what i work with because i do work a lot with lgbtqi as well so i get into you know more the nuances of gender expression and um even how everybody, how it's beneficial for everybody to deconstruct the um, concepts that they have around whether how they define sex, how they define their own role, how some of these um, parts of us that protect us from the fear of rejection or the fear of the loss of connection um, can be overriding what's authentic to us. And I I find, um, and in I find that that is at the crux of anything, of being human, the human experience, the eminence of our experience on this planet, the the humanity of it. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think it, 
I think there's space for both conversations, a both and of uh, you know the gender construct, but also the the space. Can we hold both of the the conversations of the um, fluidity of it as well? So somebody could really fall into their most authentic expression without the fear of, oh, this isn't masculine enough. Oh, this isn't feminine enough, which can cause us to be out of out of integrity. Yeah, I I think that we're in full agreement there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I. I I, I've also, my exploration around gender and uh, dynamics, experience within myself, I mean, it's been such a foundational part of my whole life's journey. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I, I often wonder, my wife and I had this conversation recently as well, because, you know, she also really, uh, in her younger years, particularly struggled and then um, you know, finding her way and exploring and understanding these feminine and masculine parts within herself, as I was on the other side, that like wondering how different our journey might have been if it if we were teenagers, twenty early twenty somethings now versus you know twenty some odd years ago, because the conversation is different, so our understanding of it uh, would be very would be very different. But we both had this certain level of fluidity. Um, But interestingly enough, uh, like we both, I think, 20 some odd years ago, were more in the exploring and trying to understand this other part of ourselves. Like I was very much trying to understand like, you know, this, this feminine part of myself, which seemed like a very real part of myself. My wife, uh, you know, my wife took a girl to the prom yeah. um, in, in high school, mm-hmm. you know, like they, uh, she was trying to understand this masculine part of herself. And then as we've gotten older and quite honestly, especially since marriage and parenthood, we have further uh, kind of polarized or moved like me further into my masculine her further into her feminine but nowhere near a hundred percent hundred percent type of a thing and it, so I, I very much believe that gender like while we might be a little bit further out than your typical person we're not as far out as those who this um this conversation is primarily driven by and at, at the same time, like it's been fluid, fluid as in not static, changing over time and finding that place of, okay, what is authentic now and allowing ourselves to be in an exploration and expression of what's true now. Yeah. Yeah. And what is that you, you were talking about uh, having a sexual awakening, a recent one. Is that, is that related or how do you, do you uh, talking no, about no, not, seat? <laughs> not, not particularly. No, I mean, uh, so before we got on this call, I mean, before we hit record, uh, I was sharing with Dr. Cat, hi audience, <laughs> breaking the fourth <laughs> wall, <laughs> that uh, I'm in the midst of a sexual reawakening right now. And no, this is more to do with parenthood mm. and um, parenthood slash the my previous relationship to my marriage was toxic and abusive Mm -hmm. and it left serious fucking scars on me that have taken me a decade plus to heal and um part of that had to do with my sexuality and then when i started with my the woman who's become my wife with ellie um I think that I started to shut down and contain certain parts of my sexuality more and more. And then particularly with uh, the birth of our first child, because I'm like, I have the most valuable thing I've ever had in my life and I'm not going to fucking risk it. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and as somebody who has been extremely wild in my sexual expression in my past, uh, that for me ended up being a an increasing constriction and mm-hmm. rest- placing restrictions around my sexual expression. And I have internalized stories of my sexuality in its in its truest form is not lovable. Yeah, you know? it's not. It's not. I have to choose. Do mm-hmm. I have the love that I really want, or do I have my authentic expression? And I chose love Mm. and I 
boxed in. Now, the tricky thing, you know, the thing that's kind of fucked about this is my wife didn't want that. Mm. So this was an unconscious choice on your part. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, 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 yeah. Of course. Yeah. I spent a lot of time trying to dissect myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I'm this far into it at this point because I have come to these understandings, but it took me a long time to understand what was going on and what was going on inside of myself. Yeah. 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 And then I think that it also led to a lot of like resentments towards my wife that were yeah. completely uncalled for. Cause again, she didn't ask me to, to make these changes. Mm -hmm. I did it, but then I yeah. was, then I was unconsciously blaming her for it. Mm -hmm. So we have, you know, we're nine and a half years in, um, two days ago was our sixth wedding anniversary Yay. And, and, you know, our level of depth, our connection, our communication, our trust just, you know, has kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And as finally I've been at this level where I'm like, yeah, all of that just has melted away. Um, and yeah, I'm, uh, something has been reopening in me. It's a combination of my sexuality and expression, but also that has always been intertwined with my sense of power in the world, period. And, and that, I think, was something I was really upset about because really felt was with the diminishment of one, I felt the diminishment of the other. Mm. And people on the outside didn't necessarily notice because I'm... I, I, Still a bit of a powerful motherfucker, but but, but I what tell. you felt inside, I could tell. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I feel the difference now. I feel the fullness of like of my like personal power much more expansive mm -hmm. since this change has been happening. Yeah, you know, it it lends to this narrative that that I believe that we have as a culture that sexual awakening happens one time and mm -hmm. then you've arrived. But mm -hmm. I see it as having many different sexual awakenings throughout your life as yeah. each one unlocks a different part of you. And this can be very archetypical. So archetypes being these um, uh, exaggerated personifications of parts of ourselves that we all have. And you do a lot of this work yourself. And I just go back into even thinking the sexual awakenings that I had, uh, God, the you know, the first time that I had sex with somebody, but also I was 23. So I come from um, some some sexual trauma in my background in my early uh, adult years. Um, so it was a little bit later than what traditionally would be would be. Um, yeah, what traditionally would would people would have sex yeah, with person. I don't know. Yeah. The ages, <laughs> uh, but then, uh, yeah, at 20, I think it was 24, 25, I had my BDSM sexual awakening and then I had my tantric awakening. And then I had, you know, my, my women, you know, sex with women. I guess that was probably like 25, <laughs> but then like, even today, you know, I have another sexual awakening of, of my gender identity or exploration, you know, and I've had whole explorations and, and even um, guided clients through, and this is why I bring up gender as, you know, this fluidity that we get to play with. And again, using the word play of um, wearing, what's it like to wear a strap on, you know, just around in the day and you know, nobody knows that I have a mm. cock in my pants, you know, <laughs> or like what when I, see what I mean, you're fun, go on. Yeah, go on. So, <laughs> so much fun or if I am embodying the archetype of daddy or zaddy and then like letting this come out and I'm like a full-on care like I care for other people but from this very powerful patriot you know like um uh embodied man type of I don't, I don't know the archetype of of dad yeah. I know the flavor you're talking about I got a lot of yeah. it <laughs> yeah 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 so it's uh you know and then you're speaking to you know when you have kids or when you're in a long-term relationship and you lose yourself you find yourself you find new parts of yourself like we're constantly reawakening as long as we're staying curious and we're exploring or we're playing or we're experimenting the stagnation the death of ourselves the death of our sexuality happens when we don't question mm -hmm. when we don't invite the curiosity or see what's beyond what we've been given as this as these constructs whether it's gender whether it's sexuality whether it's our um our own body 
whether it's our, even us as professionals in the world, you know, people get fixated on this image of who we are and we get fixated on this image of who we are. And sometimes we have to have another reawakening of that. That's the other piece. And exactly, again, exactly what I'm going through um, uh, at the time of this recording is why I've rebranded. Like I did, when I dreamt up and stepped into the erotic rock star um, in late 06. Uh, it was such an expansive, liberating experience. Opened up all these possibilities, suddenly tapping into parts of myself I didn't know were there. And, you know, da -da -da -da. by seven years later, it felt like a cage. Mm -hmm. It felt like a cage as I felt all these other people's ideas as to what that meant and who I was supposed to be and my own, like, boxes I was putting myself into and and uh, I ended up ending it putting it away and after a I mean that's a nice way of putting it, it was a very mm -hmm. difficult journey but uh then after some internal time cocooning I ended up creating this evolved masculine archetype again it was liberating it was expansive discovering understanding myself in new ways um trying to take the best of everything that I learned under my erotic rockstar years with the wisdom that I could see only in hindsight and much more service oriented all these things that were fantastic expansive now, eight years later, I actually, it took, it's been about two year process. I started feeling it, but mm -hmm. it started to feel heavy and it started feeling heavier and then heavier. And so suddenly I started feeling like I feel suffocated mm -hmm. by this, mm -hmm. by this identity. How the, how the hell did how, how that happen? Oh, wait, I did this before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so over the past couple of months, I've been in this process of rebranding, of letting go of that as, as central identity, it's still like it's. I'm the author of the Evolved Masculine book. I have these. I I have an Evolved Masculine Power uh, digital program and training. Like it's part of things, but now I look at it as a part of what I do and put out rather than the central identity. Sure. And and when I was playing around with this podcast, we were like, I almost named it the Evolve uh, the Evolve Lover podcast or the Evolve Lovers podcast. Great brand. I got the URLs just in case. And, da, da, and I decided, no, no, I'm not doing it. I I, I don't want to end up doing this again. So uh, you know, I, I chose to to brand under my name so that I can be where whoever I am right now, and the right now can keep changing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's a question for all of our audience to think about too. How are we identifying ourselves and how are we potentially limiting ourselves for from our fullest uh, potential and expression by yes. not never updating the script of which we identify ourselves and we lead ourselves? We have so many different parts of ourselves. I mean, and archetypes is one way of of um categorizing that for ourselves. But to even understand the nuance of authenticity happens between between the categories. It's not the category itself. It is, it happens in the, whoop, today I, I want to be vegan, but tomorrow I want chicken. Does that mean I can't be a vegan anymore? <laughs> right. And so, so we get caught up in this, the polarity of these parts of us that cause conflict and can almost either freeze us or cause us hesitancy or cause us to avoid uh, or protect ourselves. So I think it's important to see uh, perhaps maybe we have uh, fully integrated the, uh, for me, um, I, I took years with black hair and I was embodying the dark feminine aspect, the archetype. And then at one point I decided to go to my regular brown hair and realizing that that was fully integrated in me. I didn't yeah. have to reject it. I didn't have to hide it. I didn't have to put it on the shelf. It is me. And it doesn't go anywhere now. I got the practice. I got the, the lessons. Dark, the dark feminine. The dark feminine. Uh huh. And oh. now I can have whatever colored hair. I can wear bright pink, and I'm still fucking dark feminine. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's all in you. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But I, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so the, we are talking about um, gender, uh, widespread gender expression, etc. Um, and you know what you're speaking right right now is something I get a little bit concerned about with modern day identity politics and certain yeah. aspects of how we have the LGBTQIA plus uh, conversation sure, sure. is that 
I do tend to believe that we all have a greater fluidity than than we tend to speak about. All doesn't matter how how we identify. And I get concerned about well, getting back to the conversation my wife and I were ha- having recently. Like we didn't twenty five years ago, we weren't having the the same like identity conversation conversations so uh, we had to figure it out on our own but there's Mm -hmm. sort of a a mixed blessing there I didn't have I didn't have this identity like I wonder if I would have thought of myself as non-binary at that time Mm -hmm. but the way that non-binary is spoken of today who I am today doesn't really fit like it neatly fits on under that category Mm -hmm. um uh, so like how how my path would have changed if I had taken on an identity. I just get worried that people get fixated on a, on identities, um, period. Again, whether you identify as straight, so therefore, oh no, I had this thought about this penis. Um, <laughs> when I was watching that porn, did I look over there a little bit too long? Oh shit, what does this mean? What does this mean about me? Ah, you know, or I want, I, I sent like, I'm curious about having this experience, but if I have the experience and I have to reorient my entire sense of identity and really do you? I I mean, it's these conversations that are challenging, you know, the, these, these, these politics. And it, I think the, the hard part is when people get so rigid in there, this is what being a woman means. This is what being a man means. This is what non-binary means, you know, it, rather than, recognizing that there's an infinite expression of any of these that we choose and that's the word to emphasize that we choose to to identify i don't think that there's you know we're doing the best way to communicate to other people how we want to interact with them and how we want them to interact with us this is an imperfect structure we're this is the humanity of this of this process and it's when we get fixated on the identity, when we become rigid with it and inflexible. Uh, so I've been working with psychedelics for years, personally, and then um, over the last three years, professionally in my um, clinical practice. Okay. And um, yeah, it's been amazing. And in that process, uh, there is a queerness to psychedelics. Queerness Ooh, meaning yeah. <laughs> queer, the word queer, is non-conventional. And so if we're recognizing that that uh, psychedelics help us to break out of the conventionality of how we believe the world operates, how we believe consciousness operates, how we believe we operate and identify as, then it, it, it frees us or it has the potential, I will say it has the potential to free us from from those confines and decide what is authentic for us and again authenticity is dynamic it's fluid it changes it's not this and then this forever <laughs> it is today and tomorrow and and this day and after after day now we go through this process and there is a bit of chaos that happens chaos is a part of change Everything does have to get tossed into the air for a moment and float a bit. We don't know where it's going to go. This can be really distressing until everything falls into place. Chaos is this pure, raw energy of of just whether you want to call it universal energy, creative energy, um, femme energy, whatever you want to call it. It and it can be, it can short circuit us. It can cause a lot of disruption if we try to move faster than the information that we have. So sometimes we na- need to take the time to reflect, to integrate, to, uh, and then when we have the clarity, then to drive forward. And I think that that process is a really important process to remember in rebranding, re-identifying, re you know, whatever it is, reawakening, <laughs> sexual awakening, all of it. Exactly. I think that I've been in that process for the past two years. Mm-hmm. And of course, like when you, two years can feel like a long friggin' time. <laughs> but yeah, in many ways, there's a there's a reorientation of my sense of identity and how I'm going to be moving through the world. And you know, there's momentum, you know, you've got momentum in a particular direction, you're going to change, it doesn't necessarily change on a dime, 
I mean, sometimes things happen, sometimes change happens much quicker than you imagined possible. Mm-hmm. But other times, and especially when we're talking about integration, no, it's it's piece by piece, mm-hmm. through consistency over time. But yeah. I also really appreciate the way that you were speaking about chaos. You know, this is one of my one of my my challenges with some of the narrative put forth by Jordan Peterson, um, because the, the chaos is demonized. Um and yeah. Uh, yeah, the 12 rules of life, something ordered, I don't remember the wording, but <laughs> uh, chaos is incredible. Yeah. Chaos is potentiality. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it is from, from chaos that new can emerge. Yeah. And, you know, we need, we need a lot of change in this world right now. So how how is that going to happen well things are going to kind of break down and there's going to be chaos as something new materializes from that chaos yeah yeah i see and you know, this can even come back to the conversation around polarity too i think mm-hmm. that um you know chaos in order for it to to um be most supportive for us it's how we can create a container for it and a container for us as individuals i'm thinking of the polarity within our own selves if i build a meditation practice or structure around my day or structure around goals and then even if i don't know what's going on in my life and shit's falling apart i feel a lot more uh, security in my own self to mm-hmm. to move forward until I have the clarity. A really good example of this um, that I'll give happened to me last year. Um, so at the beginning of the year, my my dad had passed away, mm-hmm. and I went through a period of chaos. I was dropping things. I was forgetting things. I would just break down and not be able to concentrate for for you know a couple of days, and um, and this was going on for a good few months. And it was I found myself at first getting so frustrated with the chaos, like I don't know what I'm doing. I can't work as much. I didn't schedule things. I didn't schedule clients, um, and. I just created the small bits of structure for myself. I got back into the devotion of my yoga. I got back into the devotion of of balancing other things out so that I could just focus on what I could. And it made that chaos so much easier to, to hold, knowing and trusting that it would all make sense. I would find that groundedness again. Um, with as the process continued. But I, I feel like that's important in all aspects of our life. Um, otherwise, if we don't cultivate that for our own selves, who do we then enroll to be that container for us in our own chaos? Or who do we enroll somebody else to be the chaos for our uh, straight and rigid, you know, straight line life <laughs> to bring the excitement in? So it's like, I don't know. I, I believe in powering ourselves and self-sourcing this this balance, this polarity of of these two elements, um, bringing the conscious awareness of that just as much as we want to create polarity with another person. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I'm I'm all for that. Um, especially, and again, great. Let's bring things back to the psychedelics because psychedelics can yeah. be such a powerful tool for self knowledge. Yeah. Or understanding yourself more fully for breaking out of rigid thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, so many people have, well, both brand new experiences on psychedelics, but also, of course, new insights that can yeah. utterly change their entire way of moving through the world and yeah. how to think of themselves. I want to let you know about a relationship hack that's going to change your life and open the door to deeper intimacy than you've ever imagined. The secret is the power of touch. Some good friends of mine at Lit have formulated a line of world-class sensation tools that will help you and your partner drop into your body, regulate your nervous system, and stimulate a cocktail of gooey love hormones like oxytocin, dopamine, and serotonin. I use these tools myself now, and they've opened new worlds of sensation, pleasure, and connection for me and my lovers. If you're curious, if you like to explore, if you're craving a deeper experience of connection, pleasure, and intimacy in your relationship, head over to litup.love, that's litup.love, and check out their amazing products. Use the code DESTIN to save 10% on your order.
And that's the important piece of having a strong container, you know, a strong facilitator, a strong uh, set and setting that is containing you to go into chaos, to melt, to break down these constructs. If you're if you're feeling fear or your uh, uncertainty around whether the facilitator can hold you without abusing you, or or there's interruptions in the space, you know that's not going to make it so that you can go into the chaos that you need to. That's actually an important aspect of this. So I, I see these as again. Here's the polarity aspect of it. Um, yeah, we need the the psychedelics to to break that 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 experience. Uh, as this relates to sex, so mm-hmm. I, I have a story. I think this is really really important because I advocate so hard for vetting your facilitators yes. and making sure that your facilitators you know, doing the interview process. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in an experience where. I went into pure chaos. I was like in full sexual mode and just like humping the earth. And I was just like, I was, I was literally like, just blah, you know? And, and, and when I came out of the experience, the facilitator was, was looking at me, but not with a clean energy. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a, it was a um, lustful energy and I shut down and I got scared and I was able to vocalize that to him and he denied it. So mm-hmm. it's really important. He, he minimized it. So it's really important to emphasize to everyone listening that you need to go through this process of taking care of yourself and vetting and interviewing and, you know, gathering information before you enter into with somebody, because that does have a difference. Yeah, I, 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 I... I recently started to um, dive deep into uh, Shibari as I've discovered my wife has a yeah. fucking thing for it. <laughs> and I, I, here in San Diego, there's this um, all uh, the Shibari community all tied mm-hmm. up San Diego. Um, and they require to attend any of their events, they have a getting started event that you have to go to first mm-hmm. and I'm like oh, okay fine you know <laughs> and I was really blown away uh just the care that they put into to make sure anybody stepping into the community has all of these I mean you could say base level understandings of of uh safety and how to be and how to show up and responsibility and and the, the importance of val- and value of vetting and da, da, da. I, the reason why I said um, uh, you could say base foundation, but really like, no, th- this is relatively new. Like I, I can't even, even outside Shabari world, which I particularly understand because it's like, no, like this is, you're playing in dangerous territory, mm-hmm. especially if you're meeting somebody for a first time and being like, yes, tie me up where I am 100% helpless and at your mercy. Yeah, I think it's great that they, they really stress the notion of vetting and how just because somebody is in a position of power, just because somebody is a teacher, a facilitator, or what have you, does not mean that they deserve your trust. Mm-hmm. To Part of vetting is asking around, how are other people, uh, who else has had experience with this person? Mm-hmm. What is their experience like? Do you have particular needs or concerns uh, that are specific to you, like find out about those that clearly so that you know who you are entrusting yourself with. Mm-hmm. And, I, 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 and as somebody who's been playing deeply in sexuality environments for 25, <clears throat> 25 years, I'm like, Jesus, if only 25 years ago, these things are, were were a, a normal part of the conversation. I wish yeah. that I would have I would have saved myself various difficulties over the years if if I had gotten all of this. So yes, yeah. of course, in these psychedelic spaces, I mean, unfortunately, the whole psychedelic community has been de- has dealt with its own like Me Too uh, uh, controversies. That those who are in that holding position there's a lot of power and a lot of responsibility there that Mm -hmm. people who step into it go into a state of such deep vulnerability 
Mm-hmm. And as a woman who is deep into her sexuality and her sexual sexual expression, fuck yeah, you need to make sure that your facilitator can can cleanly hold that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and really, this is a an issue across all communities. And Mm -hmm. I think that some people get caught up with, well, because something is a conscious community or it's a tantra community or it's sacred that it doesn't exist in there and Uh. it exists everywhere. (laughs) I know it exists everywhere. So anywhere, anywhere there's a power dynamic, anywhere there's someone who is seeking healing from another person or with, you know, the facilitation of another person, anytime that there is something involving trauma you know somebody who has trauma um, tends to have a less uh, less skills of discerning boundaries Mm -hmm. and so it already makes um makes this uncertainty of is that touch that they're giving me is that appropriate is that okay it's probably okay because they're trying to heal me right so it's almost like this going back and forth in their own head trying to make the thing okay or dissociating from what isn't okay and what is inappropriate and then highlighting what is good we see this all the time in in the trauma work that i do with clients so it's like you know having these conversations like you and i are having hopefully puts the seed in people's minds to be able to learn, okay, this is something that I need to give more reverence to, more time to. And uh, for me to sit and reflect, how did my body respond to that person when they were saying this or when they were describing this to me when I asked this question? All of that is so important. I'd, I'd like to highlight that by having this conversation that we're having, we're not meaning Uh, I don't mean to put all the responsibility on the participant Um, because it like in a, in a perfect world, you could trust whoever is Mm -hmm. positioning and holding these environments. Unfortunately, we're not there. And maybe over time there is, we are moving in that direction where there, yeah, this is, this is something that's a little challenging for me, right? Because like you, I'm pretty sure. I'm a, I'm a rebel. I'm archetypally strong rebel spirit. I've never been a big fan of living under somebody else's rules mm-hmm. and ideas. So regulatory bodies are difficult for me. And at the same time, the things that I've seen, whether in psychedelic world, tantra world, spiritual communities, et cetera, et cetera, real coaching industry really show me why regulatory bodies come, come to existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. On on the plus side, lack of regulation leads to greater innovation. Uh, sure. On on the downside, you have people abusing shit left and right. Yeah, yeah, it's the light and the shadow aspect of all of these systems, these imperfect human systems that we have. I think what's important is no, I don't mean to put this conversation entirely on the person seeking healing. It's a conversation for both the person seeking healing, the community at large, and the facilitators. So if everyone shares in this responsibility, would, then it, it reduces the likely, you know, it reduces the, um, uh, the, the harm that can mm-hmm. happen, but it's not, again, there are facilitators, there are people they're, they're just, it's, it's happening. So how can we increase the awareness across and, and share the responsibility is really ultimately what I'm seeking. We need community support here. Yeah, that's beautiful. I like the three layers of that conversation that you spoke of, the participant making sure that they're doing what they can to take care of themselves, a community, so where mm-hmm. we all are, uh, are learning to take care of one another mm-hmm. and the community at, at large, mm-hmm. and then the uh, facilitators themselves mm-hmm. and how do we hold ourselves and one another as facilitators mm-hmm. To a higher standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As well as there's, there's a reason why I'm a therapist in this, in this, uh, you know, it protects me and it protects my clients, the people that I work with. Um, that's what I feel really, really strongly for. There is a regulating body that holds accountability of the, of the therapists at least. Uh, and I think, you know, we're still working out the infrastructure here as psychedelics continue to expand. Excellent. Excellent. So why, um, how, like, 
it's happening more and more, but I feel like you've been part of the forefront of really vocally speaking of that intersection of yeah. sexuality and psychedelics. Yeah. Um, why? And what, <laughs> and what particularly, what, like, what's, what's the best of what you've been discovering there? Oh God, this is going to be many, many podcasts. Um, the so psychedelics were a big part of my healing, um, my sexual trauma and my autoimmune uh symptoms, my body just totally breaking down at some points in my early adulthood, uh, both in and and for many different ways. So I remember the very first ayahuasca ceremony that I had sat in. Um, I went into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I felt the adorableness of who I was. And it was the first time that I felt embodied self-love. Like I understood the concept. I understood that that's what I was supposed to be doing, but this was the first time that I felt what that was like. Mm -hmm. And so it then gave me a reference point of what then all of my work was moving towards. So how do I get back to that experience? And it becomes, it becomes a lot easier to work with when we have that. Um, since, and then moving from that experience, and that was in my mid twenties. Uh, so since then it was, you know, having these experiences of feeling energy moving through my body and realizing that sex was energy. And I knew that from a tantric perspective, but then here was a whole nother experience of it where I had more energy again, cause I was experiencing a lot of the autoimmune. I didn't have much energy in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, it was those experiences, the, the feeling of, of, um, uh, being in my body and feeling safe in my body or feeling the dissolution of boundaries and feel, realizing what boundaries actually was between me and the world. And so, um, all of these, and then even revealing some of the insights around the, you know, around some of my trauma and helping to, to access some of these places that I hadn't been able to, and just talk therapy. So in that sense of healing, it's done so much for me. Now, I have a perspective of, you know, the trauma work and the therapy world and the psychology that I then reverse engineered what was happening in there, um, as well as, you know, my 13 years of Tantra and 10 years of BDSM to be able to understand that, you know, psychedelics can help us enhance our sexuality. It can help us to, to, in the process of healing our sexuality, um, but it can but sex can also be psychedelic in and of itself. Mm-hmm. We don't have to have a psychedelic uh, substance. And, and I think there's space for all of this. It just is important that we hold the excitement around the sex and psychedelics with, again, the reverence of it, the, you know, the harm reduction, the power dynamics with facilitators, the, um, the, the skills of introspection, the skills of self-regulation, the skills of prep and integration, you know, all of these are important. You know, it's not just let's, I mean, you can actually, you can have sex on psychedelics, you know, like, and again, I will say a disclaimer. I don't believe that psychedelics are for everyone, but you can do that and have a super sexy time, super sexy, fun time. (laughs) However, if you want to turn this into something where you're learning, where you're evolving, where you're really anchoring in deeper lasting change, that's where I come in to help you to, to make sense of all of this and, and transform an experience into from one that's just a heady psych psilocybin session into one that's very erotic and and expansive. Mm. So uh, first of all, Thank you for doing this work, um, <laughs> especially this, this wide range of things that you've integrated and, and the deep professionalism that you bring to all of it as well with play and joy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, and and by, I also say, and the, the work that you've done on yourself to get you here, you know, that is actually a really key part in your ability to uh, hold and facilitate somebody else's experience. Like I know it's what would have me trust you so much more um, is because your self-work is evident to me. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Um, so there, I was exploring psychedelics for at least 
15 plus years before I ever even heard of the concept of like psychedelic assisted therapy yeah. or having some form of professional support around the holding of the container, et cetera. Uh, can you speak to that at all? The like, you know, unregulated <laughs> recreational psychedelic use versus what you're speaking of? Yeah. So clinically, my work looks like a, a couple of different ways. So I work with ketamine assisted therapy. Ketamine is this um, beautiful substance that I think has a lot of stigma of being just a party drug, but in a clinical setting, and um, and I'll expand the word clinical for a moment, um, uh, in this controlled setting with me as the therapist, um, we work on establishing an intention. I do several sessions with you before to help give you some tools to be able to have dialogues with it, with yourself. Um, and then we go into the dosing session, which is about two hours long. Um, I curate a, a, a music journey specific to what's going to uh, about to happen. And I also integrate a lot of the ceremonial practices that I've had from, you know, my combo facilitator training and in some of my other um, practices uh, into this experience. So it's more than just a therapy or a clinical. I think a lot of people are like, oh, a clinical is like overhead lights and white and sterile, but it's actually very organic and, and has uh, ceremonial elements to it. I believe sound can help to break up a stagnant energy or can, can open the body. Um, I work a lot somatically with the body and have the set the conditions right so that the body can heal itself or move into the 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 responses it needs to um so i i do that in with individuals i do that with couples um at lower doses of ketamine it acts more like an empathogen where you can connect with vulnerability um you connect with your empathy your compassion you become more verbal uh, and you can receive the perspectives of the other person more easily. At higher doses, you have more of the psychedelic-like experience, and you'll go on more of like a journey or have more of a, a, a spiritual experience. Um, and then as it relates to other psychedelics, I do uh, prep and integration sessions. So really working with people on, around the safety aspect of it and the intentional aspect, whether it's eroticism or not, and um, helping them to make sense of all of that. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I understand confidentiality and all that, but can you give like a, um, whether an amalgamation <laughs> story or, or something that could just give, give more of like a, a tangible um, specifics around a, 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 like an effect that can occur as a result, like a, a case study. There we go. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'll speak to, I'll speak generally and give, give some indications to this. Um, I work with, I specialize in sexual trauma specifically. So I get a lot of clients who come to me with sexual trauma, um, both in their younger years and their older years. And what happens is they'll have, um, these, uh, a lot of times a resurgence of symptoms, um, things like flashbacks, hypervigilance, tension, um, specific uh, sexual positions, they'll freeze up, um, anger, that kind of thing. Um, some of this is, is brought up by psychedelics. So they've gone through a ceremony and now they remember something that happened to them when they were younger. Um, some of them have had these memories all their life and now they're finally getting the work. Um, so working with the ketamine, again, I do several sessions before, give them skills, resources, things to help support them in that space. Then we go into this space and the things that have come out of that, even in one session where there's symbols that come up or, you know, a person becomes a, um, you know, the, the perpetrator becomes a, a flower or, or um, there's this sense of uh, conversation that they get to have with this other person or with a younger version of themselves or with, um, some of their uh, guardians or angels or Mary Magdalene or, or people that they identify with, whether they realize it in that moment or, or in the integration session of these archetypal figures that give them power, that give them a sense of, of safety or peace, um, something that they needed during the time of the trauma. And then uh, over the course of several sessions, I, I do at least 
two to four to six sessions, it depends on what the case is, for them to be able to, you know, go through that, and then also to go through the the process of, um, okay, now that I have found resolution in this, I now feel a bit vulnerable going out into the world. It's almost like I'm walking on new legs and I haven't quite found the stability of my legs. And the Mm -hmm. reason of this is because when we change and we're no longer operating the way that we were, like we're not um, being the super caregiver anymore, we we don't have loose boundaries anymore. It's going to ruffle feathers of people in our system. We may end up losing partners, lovers, Uh, We might lose friends, we might lose community of people who've been relying on us to act, to, to operate in this way. And now we're no longer doing that. Some will fall away. Our bodies may be operating differently. We may be doing different um, activities than we did before because we're not operating from that scared or protective place anymore. And so that's really vulnerable. And and we need a, a session or two to be able to, for them to find that grounding and the confidence again. Um, yeah. You know, some of my clients will say, um, you know, there's that fear of, of um, letting somebody uh, or, or not being super angry anymore because that anger served as a, as a skill to get people to pay attention to them or to, to get people to do action, to be able to take care of them. And now they're, they feel the, the fire of that energy or yeah, the, the fire of the anger calm and, mm. and they feel really exposed So what do they do now? And so now it's like, okay, let's learn some new resources and skills and they can do that in the, in the ketamine session and the integration session as well. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Again, your experience really, uh, really shines through. Thank you. Yeah. Um, psychedelics have been major part of my life and, and my journey. Um, I think that they played a, a big role as well in my um, in learning to develop my felt sense of energy mm-hmm. and sexual energy, of which I have a particularly heightened energetic sensitivity that, um, you know, are not reliant on psychedelics at, the, at this point, but they're mm-hmm. definitely a big part of um, feeling it in that undeniable way initially. Mm-hmm. and then once once there is that that clear felt sense of like whoa like this is not an idea this is like i i feel this fully then you know over time i was just developing a greater and greater ability to access that with or without this is part yeah. of an overall like frame that i hold when it comes to psychedelics and other psychoactive substances it's the distinction between a uh master-slave relationship or a teacher-student mm. relationship and the master-slave relationship is i uh, like um i need i need this thing this substance this psychedelic whatever in order to access sexual energy or yeah. i need to drink in order to uh feel comfortable dancing yeah that, that, that that's a common one right mm-hmm. or or I need a drink in order to feel comfortable enough to have sex. Yeah. But so that's master slave relationship. Now teacher student relationship, we'll use the alcohol one, even though, you know, alcohol and psychedelics are kind of on opposite sides of the spectrum when it comes to psychoactive substances. I tend to think of alcohol as primarily more a consciousness limiting substance, whereas, you know, psychedelics tend to be consciousness expansive. Uh, Alcohol can loosen inhibitions, which is why people like it sometimes for um, whether dancing or, or sex. But the teacher student is i couldn't have sex without being uncomfortable and feeling inhibited but through this alcohol or a psychedelic or what have you i discovered what it was like to feel relaxed and released and able to just let myself go or let myself really enjoy now i have access to that mm-hmm. now i know that in my system now i have a template and i can find my way there with or without Mm-hmm. That to me is a teacher-student relationship. Yeah, you've got a reference point that you can now work towards. 
Mm -hmm. Oh, I know what it felt like. Now it's easier for me to access that. Whereas before I didn't know what I was shooting for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful model. I love that teacher student. Yeah. It's a tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you have a, um, I don't know, a a particular story from your own journey around psychedelics uh, aside from you know you shared about the experience of the adorableness as you and I, I, I love that <laughs> phrasing um but of um, yeah I don't know but, but that's fun and expansive uh, from your history in this exploration that has stood out for you over time I mean, God, there's, there's so many, (laughs) um, I would say some that, you know, there's been probably the first time that I discovered how much energy could course through me. It was another good way of describing this, my Kundalini awakening, (laughs) you know, I, I had a, an experience what does that mean first what's this kundalini awakening yeah i'm going into that yeah so so kundalini awakening from the tantric perspective is when the energy of your shakti which resides at the base of your um of your spine like a snake slithers up your spine and and you have this intense surge of energy that rides up there you know so your spine starts undulating and um uh, you can experience like um, a lightness, um, energy surge, uh, movement, like uncontrollable movement. Um, that that's the physiological aspect of Kundalini awakening. Of course, there can be the spiritual aspect of you know awakening consciousness or realizing you know that that we are energy or energy flows through us. Um, from a biological standpoint, I think it has a lot to do. It is this unbridled nervous system activation. You know, the arousal, this this um, uh, life force energy, nervous system energy moving up your up your, up your central nervous system. <laughs> so. So to bridge both of those conversations here, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and I remember just this uncontrollable movement in my spine, and I was just uh, in awe, in pure awe, at first afraid, because I couldn't control it, it was just moving me, uh, but also a sense of awe, like, wow, how much energy and how much um, ecstasy was coming from this experience, and then I had this in- intuitive thought to um, of it, it started to become really uncomfortable. And I had this intuitive thought of, oh, I can actually control this. I can smooth this out from my sensuality. And I started slowing down my breath and I started slowing down my movement and taking control of that energy itself. And that was the first time I realized that I could control that energy movement. And um, maybe not the first time, um, because I would say a couple of years prior to that, I had studied Reiki energy. So I understood energy from a from a one perspective. This was unlike anything that I had ever been taught. <laughs> no. So it, it's almost like I incorporated what I knew around sensual sensuality and Reiki energy and then whatever the fuck was happening in, to me in the moment to be able to smooth that out. Um, and since then, you know, ceremonies using my breath, using the sound of my um, voice and the vibration of my voice and the movement of my body can uh, become those tools, not only to make it erotic, but also just to, to contain myself so that I don't short circuit or, or um, be ridden by the energy, but I, I channel it. So I, I have my own personal experience with everything that, that, that you shared there. I just want to tease this a little bit more. Um, sure. When you speak of being short-circuited or you being ridden by that energy, um, what does that mean? And particularly you being ridden by that energy doesn't sound particularly bad to me. Like, but what- I don't think it is bad. Uh, I don't think that it is bad. Um, it, at some point, it became really uncomfortable because uh-huh. I was jerking and it was like, I, I almost um, in that moment, it felt closer to overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And it and that may be because at that time, um, I had a 
internal and, and I guess, you know, I still do um, this part of me that is afraid of overwhelm. It's afraid of overwhelming my system and then short circuiting, breaking down, not being able to function because right. of too much big emotion or too much big energy or stimulation. Um, so that's probably part of my inner programming from, from youth. And, and it triggered that part. And so for me, the lesson was, you don't have to go into overwhelm, you can contain yourself, you can um, self regulate, essentially, all three of those practices are self regulation practices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Again, I I can, I can dive in with you endlessly. We, we have a lot of overlap in regards to how we like to play in the world and then enough differences that it gets uh, really interesting as well. And I got to be mindful of um, both of our, our, our time schedule today. Uh, so how can people find out more about you? Well, yeah. 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 So you can go to sexloveyoga.com, which hosts all of my, um, you know, blog and, and programs and podcasts. Um, I run the podcast Sex Love Psychedelics. And then you can also find me on Instagram at Sex Love Yoga. Beautiful. Sex, love, yoga, psychedelics, like all the good things. <laughs> you know, all about um, knowing yourself, knowing your body, mm-hmm. uh, expanding consciousness and sense of possibility yeah thank you for being a pioneer mm, and you. again you you started really um taking these two taboo areas of sex and psychedelics and speaking on them bringing together um earlier than uh than most and we're still at the very very beginning um thank you for helping lead the way and for showing how to have fun while doing so Thank you so much, Destin. You're diving deep with Destin. Sex, love, and evolution.